This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of If I Go Missing. Today, we are going to the land down under for this case. A new case, a new country. Let's get started. Yes, I am beyond excited and want to say thank you to all of the people in Australia who are starting to listen to our show. We're branching out as a way to say thank you. This is the story of Lynette or Lynn Dawson. Lynette Dawson's last known conversation was with her mother on the morning of January 8, 1982. Dawson's mother called to plan an outing to the North Bridge Baths, a local beach on the Sydney Harbor. The two had planned to meet up with the rest of the Dawson's family the following day. However, when the mother arrived, Lynette was nowhere to be found. Though she hadn't been seen at the beach or even leaving for it, and despite the fact that she couldn't be reached by phone, Lynette Dawson was not reported missing. In fact, it would be more than a month until an official missing persons report would be filed. This is getting interesting. Was it the hubby as usual? (laughs) Emotions toward him in the eyes of the public are constantly swinging back and forth from suspicion to sympathy. What I want to do is take you guys back to when everything really got started between Lynn and Chris Dawson and let you all decide for yourself. In his heyday, Chris Dawson had been a rugby star playing alongside his twin brother, Paul, for the Eastern Suburbs Rugby Union Football Club, and later the Newtown Jets Rugby Club, and the South Wales Championship Rugby Club. Then, in 1965, Chris Dawson met young Lynette Sims, and five years later, the two were married. Before long, they had two children, and Chris began winding down his rather successful rugby career. Following his retirement, Chris continued in the sports field as a physical education teacher at local Sydney high schools. His brother Paul followed suit and began teaching alongside Chris, even moving his family closer. The relationship between Chris and Lynette seemed like it was perfect, from the outside looking in anyways. In 1980, Chris began a relationship with his 16-year-old Cromer High School student Joanne Curtis. Their relationship became sexual, and Chris employed the girl as a babysitter for his two daughters. He then tried convincing his wife to let the girl move into their home for the remainder of schooling, saying that she came from a broken home and had a violent stepfather. The couple ended up in marriage counseling, no duh. Chris Dawson then allegedly threatened to, quote, get rid of his ex-wife during a marriage counseling session before she vanished. Is that not a red flag? I mean, he did this in front of the counselor? Okay, Chris, we're going to have to have us a talk. All right, so not only does he have an affair with a student, and nobody noticed it. Yeah, no, like it's something totally twisted to all of us now. But back in this time period, for some reason, relationships with students were seen by many as fringe benefits. Oh, no, huh? I know. Mm-hmm. 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 Wait for Where y'all it. was at? Wait for it. 
This was just the fringe benefits of the job, okay? And it was not an uncommon thing at all. Oh, snap. People try to make excuses for this and say, like, it's just this manner of thinking that came about in relation to the culture of Sydney's northern beaches at the time. During the 1980s, the northern beaches had what's been referred to as a bikini and beach culture. And somehow that ended up translating over into a somewhat laid back lifestyle where things just went by the wayside. Laid back. Okay, okay. You can use that word. About two years after this affair began, 33-year-old wife and mother of two, Lynn Dawson, just vanished from the same area, Sydney's North Beach. I tried tracking down Lynn's timeline, and I was able to come up with a pretty decent one. Mm -hmm. What did you put together that her husband killed her from? <laughs> Prove me wrong. I'd like to, but I don't know if I can, but we'll see. So, it all really starts on the evening of January 8th of 1982. Lynn, who was not known to drink, placed a phone call to her mom, who recalled her as sounding a little tipsy. It was also on this call where Lynn made plans to meet up with the rest of the Dawson family the very next day. Chris claims that on January 9th, 1982, he dropped Lynn off at a bus stop in the morning. Though I can never find an exact time that he dropped her off at. He just said he dropped her off. Yeah, okay. Although we do know Lynn had planned that outing to the North Bridge Baths, the local beach on the Sydney Harbor. This was where she had planned to meet up with the rest of the Dawson's family. And when the mother arrived, Lynnette was nowhere to be found. Nobody had seen her. She couldn't be reached by phone, but nobody found reason enough to call authorities. She was not reported missing on this day. That. That's just, that's, that's crazy. If you can't find your family, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I think you report them. You get people looking right there and then. A shocking and sickening twist would emerge just two days after Lynn's disappearance. On January 11th, 1982, Chris Dawson moved his young schoolgirl lover, Joanne Curtis, into his home. The home he once shared with his wife and two daughters, except now only the daughters remained. Finally, after what some accounts deemed a near six weeks after Lynn vanished, finally, finally she was reported missing. On February 18, 1982, Chris could, quote, no longer live in denial any longer. Okay, drama. And then he finally reported Lynn's disappearance. The initial report Chris gave when he called about Lynn was that he didn't have anything to do with it. He denied anything tragic ever happening to his wife. Then he went on to make the claim that he thought Lynn left to join a religious group up in the Blue Mountains or possibly up on the North Coast. He claimed that she took off to join this group after the pair had gotten into an argument about her spending habits. Okay, number one, that is as clear as mud. I mean, come on, dude, seriously. You, you, you can't just bring yourself to say she's missing. Oh, you do that the second she goes missing. The second you can't find your wife for hours, you call the neighbors, you call somebody. You get somebody looking for this woman. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you really want to give a crap if she's found. And then she might have went to the mountains. 
She might have went and joined a cult. I mean, come on, dude. You're making up crap. You are just incriminating yourself. Oh, I need to be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, on top of all his lovely stories, um, so you're going to tell me this woman just walked out of her family to start a new life. She moved to the North Beach. You're kidding. Well, it wouldn't be the first time, at least for this family. Oh, snap. There is at least one other case that the public is well aware of where another mother went missing and was living a new life. The case I'm referring to was actually a member of Dawson's extended family. In another bizarre twist, the former mother-in-law of his brother, Peter Dawson, walked out on her three children in Sydney 60 years ago. The woman secretly moved to New Zealand Remarried and died in 2002. Okay, now I can't even comprehend that, so I won't even go down that road because it'll be all... Well, you need to shut up. But if this woman did this, she secretly moved to New Zealand, not the other side of the island. That's a valid point. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm going to move three doors down because I don't want you people to know where I'm at. No, if this woman walked down on her darling, sweet, loving husband and those beautiful, beautiful children... She is not going to go around the corner. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move from Georgia to California. I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere where I can't ever see those beautiful babies and be reminded that, hey, I did the wrong thing and I've got to go be with my babies. There's no... Try a new story, mister, because nobody believes you. Um, you think that's the case here where she just walked off? Well, I would love to say absolutely not, but we don't know for certain. So, I'll just say it's very highly doubtful that that happened. Like, oh, that's right, because we're not making assumptions. Oh, my bad. I done did that. I'm assuming. I'm assuming Chris knows right the heck where she's at. <laughs> Sorry, you're not making assumptions. I am. <laughs> you want to tell the story? No, go right ahead. <laughs> Chris is a very odd character in all of this. I mean, even during the official searches, he was adamant that she was alive, and when he spoke of her, he was very careful to make sure he did not use past tense. He always spoke of her in the present tense. I mean, it's not damning evidence, but boy, it sure is interesting. <clears throat> <laughs> in true Chris Dawson fashion, by 1983, he had divorced his missing wife and married Joanne. After the pair got married, they then moved to Queensland. And it was during this time period between 1983 and 1985 that Joanne would go on to have the pair's daughter. Something else was also going on in this chunk of time. The first sighting of Lynn came out in 1984. That don't make me regret getting mad at this man and her really be alive. Because a sighting? Come on. Really? Yes. The first sighting. It actually wouldn't come out until 1999, but... It was a sighting from just six months after her disappearance, from July of 1982, by Ross Hutchin, which is actually Chris Dawson's brother-in-law, and he allegedly saw Lynn six months after her disappearance, but kept the knowledge to himself until two police officers paid him a visit to his home in 1999. In an article posted in 2020, it is said that Ross told the court at a committee hearing that he was driving along Victoria Road in Gladesville three to six months after Lynette's disappearance 
when he saw her standing at a bus stop. He goes on to say that he immediately recognized the woman as Lynn Dawson. Then he took note of the surroundings. To his left was Gladesville Hospital. Lynn was standing outside the hospital. Since Lynn was a nurse, he assumed that she was alive and working at the hospital. He claims he then turned his car around several minutes down the road, but by the time he returned to the bus stop, the woman he claimed to be Lynn Dawson was long gone. Then, as if that isn't bizarre enough, we have more hospital sightings. A former neighbor from the Dawson's Bayview neighborhood says that he saw Lynn Dawson working as a nurse at a Northern Beaches hospital. Mr. Breeze saw her there while he was recovering from an operation two and a half years after she suddenly vanished. This neighbor told local courts that he was lying in his bed at the old Rock Castle Hospital, which now actually goes by the name of South Pacific Private in Curl Curl, and this was back in June of 1984. He says when he saw Lynn, he saw her go to the nurse's station outside of his ward before walking to the door of his room. Once at the door of his room, he says, quote, I looked at her. She looked at me. She turned around and went, and I never saw her again. The man says the encounter overall lasted about five to ten seconds. It's not a lot of time to really get a good look at someone. Um, I mean, I understand the neighbors and knowing her, but is he really sure? Well, when asked why he so firmly believed it was her, Mr. Breeze said that the person matched a number of Miss Dawson's physical attributes, including her stature, hair color, and the glasses that she wore, which he later saw in photos of her in media articles that he also brought into court with him. His wife, Jillian, also gave evidence that she too saw a woman on a separate occasion who looked like the missing woman walking and standing in front of her, busying herself at a nurse's station. Miss Breeze, too, claims and believes firmly that she saw Lynn. The couple really didn't make much of the interaction, though, at first, until they saw a newspaper in either 1987 or 88, and in that newspaper, Lynn Dawson was listed as a missing person. When they saw this, they then contacted Mona Vale Police Station to offer the information. A constable rang Miss Breeze back a few hours later and told her that the detective in charge of the case said, and I quote, that she was under the pool. Under the pool. Under the pool. Okay, because around here, that means that the seamoot booties are on her instead of her wearing them. Yeah, I mean, I can't really believe a detective would give that kind of information out willingly, but... Yeah, I mean, because that, that seems dangerous for him, for his career, to just kind of chunk that out. There's a little bit of, hello, how are you? Yeah. So it is very interesting that he's taking a huge chance with, what is it, a license or whatever... <laughs> that you work for to get in that position. Even credibility. I mean, yeah. if you can't be credible enough to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's a lot for him to be just chunking that out. Hey, by the way, she's under the pool. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah. who's... That's very specific. It's not like, yeah. oh, she's in the backyard. Yeah. 
Like, oh, she's under the pool to the right, kind of by the deep end. Yeah, that's kind of, that's a lot of information for somebody who don't know where she's at. You sure you don't know where she's at? Because I just saw her in the hospital. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, then that that's, that's why this case is so mind-boggling. Definitely. And, you know, however odd this all may seem, and by God is it odd, it may not be an unfounded statement. Okay. You see, things were beginning to unravel between Chris and Joanne, and she was not going to protect him. In 1990, after 12 years of a turbulent relationship, Chris and Joanne split up. Allegedly, Joanne was scared. She was afraid she was going to be the next Lynn. Oh, yeah, I am not surprised. That's what she told people. Mm-hmm. Joanne claimed Chris had become increasingly angry and threatening towards her. Mm-hmm. At this point, Joanne was afraid that she was going to be killed, too. After leaving Chris, Joanne went to the police and dropped a bombshell. She's going to be killed, too. T-O-O. That means also. No wonder she's got a bombshell. Mm, Chris. Oh, Chris. Joanne tells police that they should go dig up Chris's old garden for a body. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Did they go digging? Oh, yeah. Oh, snap. The Northern Beaches home, I've also referred to as the one in the Bayview neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That home is where police suspect the remains of Lynette Dawson could be buried. There's only one little snack. Uh-uh. The home was sold last year. And might I mention that it went for more than $2 million and was described as a, quote, elegant family sanctuary. Oh, my Lanta. Oh, yeah, they went there. Dude has done made his own, um, he has done made his own haunted mansion with dead people in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Chris. Oh, oh. Australian authorities were not about to let that stop them, though. They were going to dig up this property. Oh, yeah. The dig was focused on four areas. A small area at the back of the house between the rock and the building. Another area in the backyard near the clothesline. Another area a little further up in the backyard and around the pool area. Commander Cook says the officers working on the dig would excavate to the bottom of the property's pool, but not underneath it because it had been installed prior to Miss Dawson's disappearance. Makes sense. This search was very extensive, and officials planned out a full five days of searching different areas on this property. Then, in 2000, one of the areas that was excavated during the search was a small area near the family's pool. It was in this site that police found a pink cardigan that belonged to Lynn Dawson. Oh my gosh. Not only was this pink cardigan found buried by the pool... And found to, in fact, belong to Lynn. It also held more clues. The cardigan had cut marks on it. Those cut marks were found to be consistent with a stab. Oh my gosh, poor Lynn. After this, the case remained kind of quiet. Nothing new really happened until sometime between 2001 and 2003. During this time period, two coroners came to the same conclusion. These coroners found that Lynn was murdered by a, quote, known person, Chris. Despite this, he was not charged with any offenses. Oh, I gotta have a good reason why. That aggravates a stew out of me. 
The only thing that I can think is his saving grace at this point is that maybe DNA testing had not advanced quite enough to be useful on the cardigan. Or maybe whoever did this was good enough not to leave any DNA evidence. Other than the DNA which would have already been there from belonging to Lynn. And you know that's just speculation on my part. But what I really think is saving him is the lack of a body. Just like in America, Australia has a common law country. And like other common law countries... Its superior courts have jurisdiction to grant a right of habeas corpus. You know, I've heard that a lot on Legally Blonde, but um, now it's starting to aggravate me. Yeah. So, habeas corpus literally means produce the body. Oh. A lot of times, people like to throw this out as where there's no body, there's no crime. So, likely, if they tried to imprison him, he could pull this against them or at least try to. And I know in America, you can only be tried for something once with our double jeopardy laws. Exactly. Australia's laws, they used to be really stringent on that. They're kind of starting to loosen up on the double jeopardy. So I don't really know what that's going on with right now. Because, you know, I'm not all that up to date on my Australian law. But that would be my guess as to what his saving grace has been so far. I get it. If you can't prove I killed somebody, it's hard for me. I may be actually innocent. Not right now, Chris, but um, I might be actually innocent. And things just happen. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, whatever. But dang, this is too incriminating. Yes, I've seen it save both right and wrong people. I was told by a lawyer once that the judicial system is nowhere near perfect, has too many flaws, and usually is wrong, but it's the only one we have. I guess Australia is the same way. And that's sad. But you have to understand, there has to be a law. It'll help, like you said, the innocent and the what is it, the just and the unjust. And the thing is, too, the longer they put off mm-hmm. trying him, the more they're yeah. just building up a case. I hope it and may, pray. Yeah, it may be a fact that they do believe he's guilty. Yeah. But they just have to bite their time yeah. and wait and get more evidence and yeah. more things to point in his direction because right now he's got x amount of people saying i saw this girl alive Mm -hmm. yeah i don't understand that i don't understand it either i guess so i guess i never will then i guess we need to move on and um see what else happened and see if we could put some pieces together maybe that's what puzzles are all about another random sightings what happened well good gravy in the morning yep In 2006, Lynn was allegedly seen on an episode of the British TV series Antique Roadshow, and it's filmed in Padstow, Cornwall. Mr. Dawson later claims that a woman seen in the background of the episode could be his missing wife. This episode is believed to have aired back in Australia in like 2010, and Dawson allegedly sent an email to his daughter after a friend recorded it. Lynn's sister Patricia denies Dawson's claims that Lynn had appeared on the BBC program. And Patricia says that there is no way this is Lynn. Just the clothes that she's wearing tells me that it's not her. She would never wear anything frilly or lacy. And she's compared the jawline and nose. And while all of this made it onto the timeline of Lynn's case, I'm kind of agreeing with Patricia here on this sighting. You go, Patricia. I'm proud of you because... You can you can pull that film. Police can bring that film in. So dadgum close. They can 
count the pixels in her eyes. I mean, they can do stuff. If, if it was her, they could prove it. I agree with Patricia. Good job. Protect your sister. After this, things stayed pretty low-key until 2018, when a podcast by the name of The Teacher's Pet was released. This podcast brought global attention to Lynn's case. Thoroughly investigated by seasoned journalist Hedley Thomas, it had done something that nothing else so far has seemed to do. It got an arrest in the case. Oh, all right. Way to go. On December 5th of 2018, Chris Dawson was arrested in Queensland for the murder of Lynette Dawson. There are currently 16 episodes, and I assume as things emerge in the trial of Chris Dawson that they'll come back with updates, but as of now, they've been silenced. Silenced, like, what do you mean silenced? So, with the looming possibility of his trial, some point planning, far as I know, in the year 2020, the podcast that's thought to have led to Chris's arrest has been taken down in Australia in the interest of giving him a fair trial. Yeah, I can understand that. So, a statement was released by the Australian who published The Teacher's Pet, and they announced that they will be making all 16 episodes of the podcast temporarily unavailable. However, if you live in another country and are curious, it should still be available. Headley and the Australian released The Teacher's Pet, a hugely popular true crime podcast that explored the details of her disappearance. The series ultimately prompted renewed calls for Lynette's case to be reexamined. And it's thought that the podcast even led detectives to dig up her former backyard in September last year in the search for additional evidence. Importantly, it also framed Chris as a prime suspect in Lynette's suspected murder. That's a cause for concern insofar as it could influence the jury's decision. Police are still in the process, though, of combing through 100 gigabytes of audio, video, and documents from the podcast series as provided by Headley. Chris, who is now in his 70s, still maintains his innocence. Too bad he would now have to convince those at his trial of his innocence. So what's going on with this trial now? So, like I said, the trial is set to take place sometime this year, and it's going to last for about four weeks. An article posted on February 13th of 2020 says Chris Dawson has been committed to stand trial for the alleged murder of his wife, Lynette Dawson, nearly 40 years ago. A Sydney court heard evidences from four witnesses who claimed to have seen Miss Dawson between three months and two years after she was said to have vanished. Along with those who defended Chris came another surprising moment in this case. Oh boy. Elva McBeigh may as well be Australia's oldest witness in a murder case. At 101 years old, McBeigh became part of one of the country's most prominent criminal prosecutions, testifying at the committal hearing of Chris Dawson for the murder of his wife, Lynn, 38 years ago. Miss McBeigh wrote that she had told Lynn to get the girl out of her home and that the teenager had allegedly threatened to take the life of the mother. How did she hear that? So, the letter that was penned by Elva McBay painted a bleak picture of Lynn's life. In the undated letter, McBay states she became concerned and surprised to learn that the teenager had even moved in to begin with. I agree. 
She wrote that the move was intended so Dawson could help Joanne with her studies, but during several conversations with Lynn in 1981, she noticed things were becoming rocky. The letter discloses that the teenager was increasingly spending time with Dawson and becoming hostile towards Lynn, prompting Miss McBay to warn her to remove Miss Curtis from her home before the situation grew worse. That's why we need to listen to older folks. They're wise. They pay attention when you don't think they are. Yes, and you know, wiseness does come with age, but Lynn is said to have responded by saying, Chris and I love each other and I trust him implicitly. No, poor Lynn. The letter adds that on one occasion, Lynn dropped in to visit Miss McBay, who was at her sister-in-law's home. Lynn told the woman she was taking her daughters out for a while so her husband and Curtis could study without being disturbed. Quote, both Marilyn and I were amazed at this, and I told her quite frankly that she was crazy to go away and leave her husband and a teenage girl who obviously had a crush on Chris alone in the house, Miss McVeigh wrote. But by Christmas, Miss McVeigh felt the Dawson's marital issues had settled after Lynn phoned her asking for advice about buying a present for her husband. Miss McVeigh wrote it came to her as a massive shock when Lynn went missing in the following month. The family friend was the first witness to give evidence at the four-day hearing. The committal hearing was in early April of 2020, and it offered a mere glimpse into the intriguing territory in the upcoming murder trial. As expected, Dawson was emotionless as he was arraigned. He appeared via video link because of social distancing restrictions amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. And he has now been committed to stand trial in the Supreme Court on the charge of murdering his wife, Lynette, in the 1980s. Mr. Dawson's solicitor, Greg Walsh, said that his client will plead not guilty. As of right now, that is all we know and currently are awaiting the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey would say, because there's some more to that story. <laughs> 